into sports. 20 yards out, Ursa shoot, don't shoot! Oh, oh what a goal for Fabinho! Wow! Then get into the all new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do you do? You get a slap. Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Have you seen anything like that? I'm a very confident front runner. I've carried for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. I'm, how are we going to count all the shots? You, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course you would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. It's the Irish Open. Of course you want to play at the weekend. Okay, you're welcome along to Golf Weekly. Lots to discuss, lots to get through. We have a special guest joining us later on, Colin Byrne, caddy for 30 plus years to lots of big names is going to join us. First off, big uh, thank you to the uh, many, many, many of you who have signed up to uh, Patreon already. Massively appreciated. If you missed last week, we had a bit of a an announcement. We are on the move. The pod after about a decade is moving to uh, Patreon. It's $3.99 per month plus VAT. For all that, you will get guaranteed podcasts every Thursday. On major weeks, we will come on earlier in the week. Uh, we will have Monday review podcasts after all four majors, special review pod. We will have a Monday pod after the Ryder Cup. I've promised a Jordan Spieth pod anytime he wins, but I'm limiting that to three per year. <laughs> uh, he'll put us out of business at this rate. Uh, virtual watch-alongs for major Sundays. We will... Um, well, maybe consult you guys and see what's best for that. We might do it in certain tournaments an hour before the leaders go out or as they're going out. And other times might do it, say, if it's a British Open in the uh, hour after they win, we can figure that out. There'll be West Coast majors and East Coast majors and all that kind of stuff. We'll have golf days when the world opens up again, which will happen, even though it feels very grim right now. So if you're part of the Patreon family, you'll get first dibs on golfing days, which will happen around the country. Uh, there'll be some... Big name interviews as well outside of the Thursday pods. And like I said, big thanks to everybody for signing up. It is much appreciated. We do not take that lightly. We were obviously a bit nervous as we threw it out there, but the response has been great. So that's a massive relief to all of us, as you can imagine. And just for a couple of people on Twitter, not always the kindest place. Just stick us up. Sorry. Sorry, Joe. You, you go. You go. <laughs> uh, just to reiterate, the money here is not going into our bank accounts. Uh, we are part of the mm. off the ball family. The ball are looking at the big picture. And this is about the future of the podcast and of the company. This allows us to get a producer uh, to do things properly. It justifies the company time we all spend on the podcast as well. These are all the considerations. So, uh, that is the uh, thinking. And after 10 years, if this was all a money grab all along, we've probably overplayed the long game. We probably <laughs> should have made the move towards that first million a bit sooner. So that accusation, not ideal to hear. Uh, media does have to cost uh, something. But come with us. It's been magic so far. It's been so much fun so far. It's still like my favorite thing I do uh, most weeks in media, to be honest. And uh, there's a beautiful 
golfing year ahead. So the place to go if this announcement is all new to you is otbsports.com forward slash golf weekly. All the details there or patreon.com and just search golf weekly. I know some of you maybe not, don't use Patreon. It's really easy. Trust me, I use it and I'm a Luddite. So P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and just search for Golf Weekly there and sign up. And uh, through Patreon, you can still listen to the podcast then on whichever platform you use. So it shouldn't uh, change your life too much. This all starts on March the 11th. So you can sign up now and there'll obviously be no charge until uh, March 11th. Lots of you have already done that. The procrastinators out there, I'm one of you. So you have until... March 11th. Anyone want to add anything? Well, I have a few things to say. If oh, this, Joe, is your, if this is your favorite thing to do in media, and uh, from what I see of latest figures of a Saturday afternoon Six Nations, there's a million and a half people watching. Uh-huh. You wouldn't give that a no mention at the start of the old Six Nations coverage. This is great, <laughs> but it's not even my favorite thing to do. I'm much better of a Thursday on Golf Weekly. You think I'm good here pushing Ron O'Gara to hammer Andy Farrell? You should hear me of a Thursday lunchtime. I'm just saying it could bring a whole new audience with, but it's fine, Joe. Listen, priorities. I understand that. Uh, the second thing is, I'm wondering how many weeks before starting a Patreon. You see, within the name, there's a little hint as to how the whole thing works. So if you call it Patreon, as they like to call themselves, it sort of implies that you are paying. Oh, I thought it was like you're a patron. Yes. Possibly. A patron or you're paying. Either one, it's not Patreon, which is more patronizing. Think of it as having the same relationship as the fans that go to the Masters have, because they're not fans. I'll be quiet now. You're getting you're getting unique access, but just don't bring your phone or do anything that would in any ways annoy anybody or that you have a really good time. Yeah, yeah. Don't, My yeah. favorite uh, friends of the pod are the people who haven't just signed up, Joe. Are the people who then on Patreon left comments thanking us for giving them the opportunity to sign up, such as Ken Big Daddy, who said, "Great to be part of this new direction, lads. I never miss a week." Led supremely by the unflappable Joe, combined with Nathan's humor, Fionn's knowledge on all things not just golf, and the play's villain Peter. When Jordan Speed finally wins again, the ratings for the podcast should go through the roof just to see Peter's face. That comes in from Ken Big Daddy. Shay Cullen, who I know is a long-term friend of the pod. Good luck, lads. Delighted to support you after 10 years of enjoyable banter and some great outings. You see, Shay always got in on the outings, so he was always going to make sure he signed up. Matt Banks is happy to pay the £4 a week. I think it's only four euros. A month, a month. Screwed. a month, exactly. Jesus that was mate. the other thing. We did have one angry man who was saying, bro, awake. That works out at this thing. Uh, what a novelty. A guaranteed weekly edition will be. No more refreshing on a Thursday or Friday to see if you had time to do one. Really looking forward to the extra content as well. Matthew Fahey said, happy to pay. Really disappoints. Living in the US has been a great way to connect with home and get in on the Irish banter and golf politics and whatever else is topical for Fionn. And there were several that Fionn seemed to be enjoying the political conversations. That's good to hear. Uh, I mean, obviously, it is a golf pod, but golf doesn't operate in a bubble. We live in the world. Um, I'll tell you, I was just thinking, and it's nice to hear good stuff uh, that people are feeling so positive about it. Um, and for those long-standing fans of the pod going back, well, it's not that long ago, but for a long time, it was like, lads, I thought it was Golf Weekly. There hasn't been a pod for like three weeks. 
you know, I like, you know, those messages will no longer be the case because we are committing, we are committing to regular podcasts recorded at the same time every week, uh, rather than Jesus lads, no. When we were doing it in the ether for nothing, uh, like with no one watching us, no one producing us, no one anything us. And uh, there were those weeks where Nathan would be busy, Joe would be busy, I would be busy. And this is, I think, probably before your time, Peter, but um, where the pod would go unmade, unrecorded for periods of time. So, you know. Should we start this week with an apology to Peter Laurie? Why? Because, well, right. we, have our, we have our shit-hot new producer, Enda, who is uh, keeping the content flowing online. And uh, over the weekend, there was a lot of Peter Laurie saying that, well, Jordan Spieth was not back. Whereas he had, he had added a line that, while he didn't think he was back for good, he did think that actually maybe Pebble last week, he could deliver the goods. And he very nearly did. No, uh, no hold on now. Hold on. Roll back the boat there, Nathan. What I said was he would do okay. He said he'd play well, and he did. But I said he could do okay in Pebble because the golf course suited him. Mm. When he puts on it, when he gets on a golf course, when he starts spraying it around the place on firm, fast greens, he has no chance. Well, let's jump in then, because Colin Byrne's going to join us in about 15 minutes or so. A glance back to last week. We're at Riviera this week, which is just always great. We might, uh, we'll even ask Colin about that a bit later on. Uh, Padraig Carrington's going to play. Released from isolation Thursday morning. We spoke to him and off the ball on Wednesday evening. That is podcasted in this feed as well, if you want to hear from uh, Harrington. So eight of the world's top 10 at the Genesis Invitational. Rory is there, finished fifth last year. You'll remember that triple bogey early on when Adam Scott cruised through to win. But a glance back at last week. Daniel Berger, we should mention, winner at Pebble. Eagle at the last, very dramatic. A sneaky good career, uh, Daniel Berger. Mm. 27 years of age, four PGA Tour wins, four in the last five years. He's had uh, top 10 at one major, sixth at another major. He said, I do have a chip in my shoulder that I don't get the credit. And I thought, that's just boring. Brooks has cornered that market. I mean, ooh, <laughs> you know, I didn't, that didn't really grab me. That didn't suck me into Daniel Berger. He'll be in the Ryder Cup. He's a really good player. Uh, Nathan, I'm not connecting with Berger for some reason. I mean, he's, not, uh, he's not moving my dial. No, we were sort of discussing last week the various different personalities involved and why we're connecting maybe with a Spieth more than a Thomas and where Kepka fits in. And Berger is just that little bit off the mall in every way, in personality, in game, in victories. And he's very likable. And maybe that's going to change over the next year, 18 months. Maybe he's going to go on one of these streaks where he's there all the time because it certainly seems since golf has come back, he has been there mm. a lot. You think of the first tournament back. Uh when he ended up in that playoff was with Morikawa yeah. last year. And like, he was rock solid. And you felt when you were looking at it on Sunday that this guy ain't going to go away. He's, so, a lovely, he's a lovely player. Like Peter, he plays, I mean, he feels the wind, feels the shot. He can hit all sorts of shots. He's you know, really talented. He's not a paint-by-numbers golfer. No, he's kind of old school, isn't he? he, he all the commentators were raving about how low he can hit it. Um, he's not, hasn't got the most orthodox golf swing, hasn't got the most orthodox putting stroke, but a, um, is a very, very good competitor and understands his golf swing and understands the way he plays, um, which is a huge plus. Now, the story was Jordan Spieth. So you spoiled this for me, Peter, it must be said, because 
if you hadn't last week pointed out he'll do well at Pebble, but that still actually isn't going to count for much in other courses, I would have been very excited. So even as golfing Twitter was like, oh my God, second week in a row, 54-hole leader, I was thinking, yeah, but this isn't going to last because of what Laurie said. So you really sucked the joy out of this one for me. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, but it is the second time in two weeks. It's been 54-hole leader, uh, finished third and fourth the last two weeks. This is after missing the cut at Torrey Pines. So it's still good. The key stat jumping out is greens and regulation. He has gone up from kind of being in the 40s and 50s uh, percentage-wise to now 77% at Pebble, 73% the week before. And he said afterwards, look, I'm legitimately going around with my B game. And I know that when I step out in the first tee. Being in the lead by two, you can look at it both ways. It's pretty awesome. I feel I'm still far off where I need to be. And yet I'm leading the tournament. At the same time, it's very difficult to go out knowing that you don't have your best stuff and go out there with my own expectation that I'm actually going to win today. So that's what's in his mind. And he had two bogeys in the first five holes and uh, fell away. Did you take any more encouragement, Peter, from his performance at Pebble to make you believe that actually, eh, you know, even at some of those tougher courses, he's uh, heading very much in the right direction or are you still the same as last week? No, to be fair, if you look at the way he drove the ball on Sunday... Uh, especially the back nine um, when he kind of was out of the tournament and then tried to fight his way back into the tournament. He drove the ball pretty good. Um, he hit spectacular tee shot down. Is it 14 to one along the water um, to set up, you know, a, a very comfortable chip and birdie putt. Um, so yeah, look, it's in his head. His driver is definitely in his head. He 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 states categorically it's not it's it's a technique, um, you know. But I I, I don't believe that. Uh, you know he has to be honest. Um, and listening to you last night uh, with Porik, um, it just goes to show what tour pros go through. Porik was talking about the twelfth hole in Riviera that was his third hole of the week. Um, and it could make or break his week. And he's been thinking about it for two or three days beforehand. Yeah. And it, it just, you know, that's the kind of thing that goes through our, our heads when we play golf. When, when we don't drive it particularly well, and then we see a potential destructive hole coming up, whether that would be in a week's time or two weeks' time, we worry about it. Um, because we know that if we can get past this hole, this just challenge, let's put it that way, we have a chance. So bringing that all back to Jordan, it's very much that he has to go through the horrors that he's gone through to come out the other side um, with the driver. Where are you, Fionn? Uh, yeah, I mean, Peter's point is well made. I mean, and he's not wrong. But um, the thing that undid Jordan on Sunday was his putting. He lost strokes to the field in putting. And... You know, small greens, if you're on the wrong side of the hole, like you're facing these like devilish turning putts downhill. And he, he just couldn't make, he didn't really make a putt. Um, still, it's fascinating to watch him. Like, what? I can't remember, was it? I thought it was the 14th, but it might have been another hole where he laid up and he sat and, and he and Michael Greller spent two minutes discussing the approach shot. Mm. And he overruled Greller who went, no, it's whatever it is, a club longer and speak. No, I don't, I just don't see that, you know, whatever it is like 119 carry anyway. And sure enough, 
he hit the bad shot and Greller was right. And he turns, oh, Mikey, you were right. Mm-hmm. Those two minutes were some of the most compelling <laughs> two minutes of the entire weekend is, is watching this. And it's not just us, okay? It's not just us. So according to CBS Sports PR, 4.193 million viewers tuned in for the last round on Sunday, which is an increase of 19% on last year. Wow. And all the smart money is that it's Spieth. It's well, Spieth that's moving the dial. Well, there's no one else in the field. Well, there is no one else in the field, but had Spieth not had that 54-hole lead, you would not have gotten those numbers. Now, having said that, this is not to disrespect Daniel Berger, who shot seven under and, you know, two eagles in the one round. And this is after going OB on the 18th on Saturday. You know, almost like gifting Spieth a two-shot advantage going into Sunday and for Berger to play the way he did. So not taking away from him at all. Um, although I do want to ask Colin a question about this. You know, the, did you notice the putting? with Berger's putting, the way they line up a putt, mm. like with the little marker down and then the caddy lines up behind. Now, it's not breaking the rules, but it's kind of not really in the spirit of the rules. Well, if Patrick Reed had been doing it. Hmm. Well, yeah, absolutely. No, but for for Spieth, what he's, he's playing in Riviera. He's, he's there again this week, yeah, three weeks in a row to you know to expect like top five finishes is probably is probably a bit too much. But to have two top fives in a row, I, I don't see this as anything but an incredibly positive sign. Um, even allowing for everything. And look, I'm going to defer to Peter's greater knowledge about these things because he's proven to have an insight that I don't have. So um, I just I think that Spieth, Spieth is on his way back. And uh, and that's exciting. Yeah. It's just the roller coaster in itself is enjoyable. Yeah, you'd love to have seen him in Berger's position, though I reckon my hands would have been like this, watching mm-hmm. Spieth on 18 with the second shot, whereas Berger, even though it was still huge and like he hasn't won the tournament by any stretch, and it can go horribly wrong. We've seen people we've seen people pull it and we've seen people cause themselves all sorts of problems, particularly what Maverick McNeely has just done, but you never doubted Daniel Berger that he would land it on the green, whereas with Spieth, God knows what calamitous end would have come his way. But even that conversation just makes it. Nobody else can have that conversation like Spieth and Michael had. And then he makes a balls of it. He doesn't listen to him. And it makes it all the greater (laughs) in a way. brilliant. It's It's so brilliant. Advantage, Michael. Advantage, Michael. Next time you will listen, child. (laughs) You were right, Mikey. You were right, Mikey. (laughs) How likable is Greller, by the way? Uh, Uh, He's class. And weirdly, so obviously we have Peter on one side and then you have Spieth almost on Peter's side himself, the way he's talking about himself. But again, he almost feels that there's a slightly freakish nature to this. But I was like, I was more positive after Sunday in a way, even though he didn't win because of like, actually, it seemed to hold up for him off the tee. It was the stuff he's been doing well that let him down. Now, maybe Peter can come back and say, well, maybe because he's stressing himself out so much on the tee that it's having an effect on other parts of his game. But there has to be a feeling that it can all come together at the right time. And like he has played well in Riviera before. It's hard to do it three weeks in a row. Something he hasn't done in a long, long time. But like, I am already looking forward to Augusta and feeling that Jordan Spieth can produce something. Well, Harrington did point last night, which I absolutely agree with. He said, if you're in a major and Spieth is a shot behind you or is around you on a Sunday, that will cause you pause for thought because Spieth is such a competitor. Like there'll be a point on a Sunday in a major where he'll just say, okay, I don't really care about my technique anymore. I'm just going to find a way to win this thing. He has that quality. 
And that's a scary quality to have come uh, major time. There was an interesting moment early around the turn where they went to Rich Beam to ask him what he thought or who who did they think. And you had, you know, you had McNeely, Nate Lashley was either leading or just one off. Yeah, well, poor old sixteenth <laughs> was just four oh putting, putting from twelve feet. That was horrendous. Yeah. Um, but and Rich Beam straight away, like he saw that that it, Spieth was kind of running out of juice. He, his putter was was pretty cold. But Beam straight away just went Burger. It's got to be Burger because he's the one. That, and, and you said it at the beginning, but this is a guy who's had nine top tens in his last nineteen events, hmm. and you know he is a hot, hot player. So. Like I'm surprised Harrington didn't shows. take credit. I'm surprised Harrington wasn't taking credit for Berger. I'm sure when Harrington beat him in the playoff that time, he took him aside oh, yeah, afterwards that's to right. teach that's him a right. few little lessons, a few life lessons that stuck with him since. But it, it, it's a really is a sign. I mean, and Peter, you can testify to this, but like winning is really, really hard. And I mean, it really is. It's harder than any of us except you, Peter, could ever imagine. It... it, it Look, it, your chances come around few and far between. Um, but if you're giving yourself as many chances as, as Daniel Berger has, you know, you're, you're bound to get over the line at some stage. Um, going back to Spieth, this week is going to prove very much where his game is at. Um, the golf course is playing very fast. The greens rock solid mm. um, and fast. So if, if he hits out of if he hits it out of position this week, it's very difficult to get the ball onto the green. Um, well, it's it's one of his favorite courses, actually, Riviera. Yeah. It's a shot maker's course, but it is tree lined, so we could see Jordan in the trees a bit. Depending on if he's hitting driver off the tee all the time. Mm. By the way, some former winners and uh, Colin Burns going to join us very shortly at the Genesis. We have Adam Scott last year, 11 under. McElroy was right in that tournament and, and blew up early with that triple bogey. So it, it's not like you have to shoot crazy numbers to win this. Scott was 11 under to win in 2020. JB Holmes in 2019 was the winner. He was 14 under. Uh, Bubba Watson then before that won three times in four years. So Watson 2018, 2016, sorry, not three years, but he won in 14 as well. So Watson's won three times here. Uh, the king of this place, though, is Dustin Johnson. Uh, 17 under in 2017. Uh, here's a Justin Ray stat for you on Johnson, who also has won four times in his last nine starts. The guy's out of control. Uh, the rankings at Riviera since 2014. Going back a long way here. Players with 12 plus rounds across the last however many years, seven. Scoring average, Dustin Johnson is first. Score to par, Dustin Johnson is first. Bogey avoidance, Dustin Johnson is first. Drives of more than 300 yards, Dustin Johnson is first. One puts, Dustin Johnson is first. Uh, strokes gain total, Dustin Johnson is first. Strokes gain tee to green, Dustin Johnson is first. I don't know if you spotted a pattern there, Peter, but he's very good. You said he's good at golf? Yeah. <laughs> uh, four wins in his nine starts, Dustin Johnson, Riviera. I mean, this has all the look of uh, one-way traffic. Absolutely. He, he, after taking the week off and um, coming back from Saudi, he, he's, um, he's certainly the man to beat this week. I thought it was actually quite funny when he was asked about Rory being on the um, uh, PGA committee. On the, yeah, as chairman. Chairman, not just on it. He's chairman it, of the boards here, Peter. Chairman, which is no the chairman has ever won a major. 
there for you. There you go. But as, as the first European ever to be um, chair of the uh, PGA board, uh, players board, uh, Dustin was asked about it and they, um, he really didn't have much to say about it. <laughs> the what now? He, he wasn't in the running for it, no? Uh, I never heard of that. What, what is that? What is that again? Um, I'm just disappointed. Me. Sorry, he was asked would he be interested in going on it. Uh, and he said uh, he didn't give it much thought. <laughs> I'm Joe. I'm, I'm a tad disappointed that in all the 10 years that we've covered Riviera, you, my favorite thing you say is this wistful declaration of, ah, oh, Hogan's Alley, Bogey's Tree. I'd love to be there. That is some prime re real estate over there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we'll give the usual yearly recommendation to listen to Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History oh. podcast, which is all about Riviera. It's funny, I was, I was looking at this morning to just uh, a refresher on what Gladwell was saying, and all the articles that come up aren't so much talking about what he was saying about Riviera and the tax breaks and, as you say, the most uh, prime real estate you can possibly find in a place where there's no public parks. All of them are incredibly defensive. So you named the golf website that covered... Gladwell covering golf and it's how dare he how dare he make this accusation that golf is somehow getting away with this with this prime real estate in California do you know how much money golf donates to charity every year does it suggest that golf doesn't give back it is the it's the perfect uh Republican utopian landscape that they like to live in uh, but it's definitely worth checking out at some stage when you're finished with uh, our mm. podcast the one thing that stood out for me and uh, when you're going through the winners and Peter I'm just wondering is there a connection? So Bubba Watson's won it three times. Phil mm. Mickelson's won it a couple of times. And Mike Weir has won it a couple of times. Is there something about Riviera that suits left-handers? It, they, they say it's a draw bias golf course um, for a right-hander. So you think of a left-hander fading. Um, that's the only thing. And, and, and the other thing, it's, it's on the stats that I looked at, it's, it's very difficult to hit the greens. It's, sorry, it proves to be the most difficult golf course on tour to hit a green from inside 125 yards. Hang on a second here. You looked at stats? Yes. You put Since, a bit of prep work in. Pardon me? <laughs> Are you putting prep work in here? Yeah, absolutely. Since we've taken this to a new professional, you know, way of doing things, <laughs> I actually think about this podcast oh rather than just turning well, on the computer on a Thursday and talk absolute rubbish. Well, listen, I'm, I, we, we, we got to get to Colin Byrne. At the end of this podcast, I'm just going to ask for any other business from Peter Laurie so you can hit us with some stats which have caught your eye, by the way. Yeah, okay. No, we did uh, that before any other business and it didn't turn out too good. No, we did We did Peter Laurie's word on the street where you said oh, something right. ridiculous well, about the Irish the Open. Thing, couldn't it? Well, I don't know. Uh, Francesco Molinari, by the way, the latest member of Riviera. He's joined. Francesco's living his best life right now. He's over in LA. Oh, wow. He's joined Riviera. Topped the ball last week. Uh, went about 70 yards. He said, it was just a bad swing. Bad conditions. Not my favorite club. And that happened. He laughed uh, with the three wood. Nathan Murphy, are you shooting off? I'm going to shoot off. Yeah, I've given, given all I can. Okay. You burn brightly and briefly. That's the way to do it. Right. You said it. So uh, goodbye to Nathan Murphy. Me, Fiona, and Peter staying here. We're going to be joined by Colin Byrne in just a moment. Now, very happy to introduce our guest today into, I don't know, his 31st, 32nd year as a caddy, I think, give or take. Colin Byrne, you're very cool. welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You are home, propped up, looking out over Dublin Bay. Um, that's it, yes. Just Hoth Harbour, 
Dublin Bay, looking at all the tourists enjoying the, uh, the fine weather here. Uh, it could actually be, um, I've seen worse weather in the summer, so uh, there's quite a few of them out there. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, I just, I texted you a couple of weeks ago to come on, I, you know, caught the eye. Louis Westhazen, an interesting player to be uh, working with, and we thought we'd have a general chat with you. So when um, sure. we were just talking about Riviera before you came on, Hogan's Alley and Shotmaker's Course and all that, what can you tell us about walking up and down Riviera? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing, uh, it, it's like in a cavern surrounded by mansions. It's a very interesting uh, setting. And uh, for anyone who's interested in Kirby enthusiasm and Larry David, he lives above the 18th hole. So you've always got that mystique of, uh, you know, uh, Larry David and all his antics, which a lot of them were probably um, based on things that happened in at Riviera, where he's a member. But um, on a more serious note, the golf course is... Uh, Old-fashioned, brilliant. The tenth hole, it's a signature hole, which is a uh, fulcrum hole in the tournament. Um, you know, everyone's trying to figure out how to play play it. It seems to become more difficult as time has gone on. It's a drivable par four. For those of you who don't know it, it's um, it actually you could, a lot of the you know as long as they hit it now, a lot of them would could even hit five woods or three woods. Um, some people try to play strategically and leave yourself a full wedge, but the green is so narrow and sloping, you're not even guaranteed to hit it, even if you're a great wedge player. So, um, you know, it's it's a great hole. You, you feel like you should make it three. You could walk away with a six. So um, mm. it's got a signature hole like that. It's got the iconic uh, sixth hole apart three with a bunker in the middle of the green, um, which is always uh, a fascination. You know, uh, a lot of courses have tried to emulate it since, but probably haven't kind of quite done it properly, but um, that's a great hole. You've got um, the fourth hole, uh, Ben Hogan's famous famous hole, which um, it always defies logic, that hole, because it all slopes in from the right. It's a long part three. Well, it used to be long. Um, so it's got this, um, sure, is it Kaikuya grass they have there, but it's like a catcher's mitt. You know, you want to land it on the right side, just short of the green, thinking it's going to, all the contours are going to bring around, yet it never does. The catcher's mitt always gets it and leaves you in an impossible position. So you've actually got to land in the green, and if you land in the green, you're in danger of going over. So it's a clever design. It's about shaping the ball and, and much of what Riviera is about and all the great courses. It's about how you shape your second, second shot mm -hmm. into each um, carefully designed green. But, uh, yeah, it's one of the classics. It's, um, you know, in this era of, uh, you know, power golf and, you know, monster golf courses. It's great to see a course like that still holds up to um, to what the, the modern golfer has to uh, give it. Yeah, not least the 10th. So how does caddying work generally? I mean, you've obviously caddied for a host of great players at the 10th. Would they yeah. even turn to you and say, what do you think? Or is that just such a personal decision for a player based on their own strengths? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think what we do in a practice round, you, you think your strategy, Peter will, will attest to this. You, that's what you play your practice rounds for. That's what you, you try and work out how you're going to do it. Now, golf is about instinct as well, as Peter will attest as well. If a golfer gets on a thesis, yeah, I want to hit driver. I want to be aggressive here. You know, or you decide to be aggressive to certain pins. Absolutely. You can't curtail a golfer who wants to do that. It's when they go, hmm. Perhaps when you spot in decision, you go, well, what are you doing it for if, you, if you're not 100%? So, um, you know, as much as you do have a strategy, it's also an instinctive game. So if they 
get on the tee and go, you know what, I'm on a roll here. I'm going to go for it. You let them go as long as they're totally committed. So, um, you know, it's, it's again, it's the art of um, saying the right thing or the wrong thing, even though it's the same thing. Um, if you sense he's in the mood to be defensive, chances are you should back that up. If you think he's, you don't want to hold him back from being aggressive when, when he feels like that's the right thing to do. So um, that's the art of caddying. Peter? <laughs> I, I'd agree. Um, you know, uh, as, as you are a guest today, I, I have a few things that I'd like to say. One is... You've had this... <laughs> One? <laughs> had is this, this like uh, the, 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 the Father Ted speech when things off his chest? Uh, <laughs> this fabulous career as a caddy. And if you, every time I look at you, Colin, all your players have been brilliant ball strikers. Right for yeah. the years that I've known you, and you know, mm -hmm. one of the questions that I would have for you, and this is from now the outside looking in, do you ever wish that you had a player that was a decent putter? Um, because well, you have the every... podcast would like to apologize to oh, Ernie Els, no, Ratif Goosen, no, Alex no, Noren, and Louis Westhazen, Cabrera Bello, and Louis no, Westhazen. When, when you stand <laughs> at the side of a green, you must pull your hair out the odd time to, to say, Gee, you know, because they're so bloody good. Like, look at the players that you've got. Yeah. yeah. Been wonderful ball strikers. And they should have won probably twice as many tournaments as they have done. I'm not saying that they're bad putters, but Jesus, you'd wish you'd have. You know, well, I'll, I'll, I'll defend Retief because the first year I worked from 2004 when he won the um, US Open, oh, okay. he had 23 putts on the Sunday to win the US Open. I know that, yeah, yeah. Putting on uh, sloping terraces. Yeah. So um, that, was, <laughs> under that, was like a shot. that was like a lightning bolt, though. Uh, no, but I, I'll also go on. I, not that my memory is that um, clear, but I seem to remember him only three putting once that whole year. Wow. Now, he had, a, he had an unbelievable record that year. He was in the top 10. I don't know how many times. He was always knocking on the door, you know. Um, you know, as I've always argued, it's the best way to be a good caddy is get a great player, and particularly a great player in form. So um, he certainly was that in 2004. So, I mean, he putted unbelievably well. And it's interesting, you, um, you should mention uh, the, the more negative side maybe of their putting ability, but I... I mean, I've always thought Retief was a spectacular putter. And I looked at Louis putting when I went over to um, Torrey Pines, which is where we met up for the first time. And his putting actually reminded me exactly of, uh, of, of uh, Retief, um, just as his, uh, his simple style of putting. Yeah. And, and his actual routine of how he puts, how he warms up putting is exactly the same, whether it's a South African thing or not. He just, you know, I mean, as you know, this day and age, you're nothing without a gadget or you're nothing without a man with a gadget on the putting green, the modern golf court and modern golf tournament. Um, you know, the scientists have taken over. Retief is always simple. And I think Louis is exactly the same way. And his, you know, the way he warms up for going out in the course, trying to emulate what's going to happen on the course. He hits some left to right puts, hits some right to left puts, hits some uphills, hits some downhills. Really simple, but really effective. Um so, you know, I can't really, maybe the statistics say that Louis isn't um, as good a putter as you think he should be, Peter, but um, I haven't seen him putt badly yet, but I've only been there for two, two events. I played a good bit of golf with Louis before, yeah. you know, before I retired. And, and, and he would always mention to his caddies or whatever else that, you know, if, if, if he putted better, 
because he's such a wonderful ball striker, sure, he probably would have done better. You know, for a guy who has yeah. won in America, is a remarkable. Other than, sorry, other than the Masters, sure, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, he had me reading greens, which is always a, a bad sign, but um, <laughs> I was I was a bit shocked by that. So I I sense the uh, the desperation, but um, I uh, yeah, I mean, he he looked like. A, Look, he he put it really well. Look at his stats for the last two two tournaments. He put it really well. So I have nothing else to compare it to because I, I really haven't observed him otherwise. So um, I I'm going to say to me he's a very good putter so far. So um, hopefully you don't find Colin. So you're a yeah. good leader of a great Colin. That's, that's very, that, that's very I, I, interesting I, that he has you uh, reading the greens. So like when you guys are deciding to work together. Do you sit down and have an interview? Does he say things to you like, listen, I could do with somebody who uh, fancies themselves as, as a bit of a green reader. What do you like on that? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? How does the negotiation happen? It's very interesting because, you know, I think, uh, yeah, you know, he, he, I have obviously got a reputation, so he's going on that. Um, the interview process wasn't really necessary, you know. But before that, I was talking to a young American player Um uh of possibly working for him and he uh it was remarkable it really was like an interview which i've never gone through before i've come from a you know a, the old era of caddying you know where you you turn up if you're there that's good enough you know they, they kind of trust you to do the job but um you know uh this this young american was you know it's i've, I've never really i've had I've never had another job so i've never really done an interview but this to me seemed like it was you know you had to and in the CV and, um, you know, go, go in front of the uh, interview panel. So that was different, but no, Louis didn't do any of that, but obviously you get out there and, you know, he, there's, there's an assumption that I'm, I'm going to do, you know, I mean, it's, it's what you do as a caddy, you do what, as much as you need to do or as little as you need to do to get the guy to perform. So, mm. you know, there'll be a point or some greens where or there was some greens. They said, no, I'm fine. That's fine. Or he, you know, he, he wants some serious inputs. So um, now having said that, you know, it's a lot easier to read greens now because we have these unbelievable greens books that um, they're kind of expensive. Peter, were, you weren't using greens books when you were playing or not? Yes, but, yeah. Uh, just, uh, yeah. just started to come out. Yeah. So, I mean, they are, you know, if, if there's any doubt and it's all about subtle differences, isn't it? These things are, you know, they're, they're a hell of an advantage. You know, they can be a bit confusing at times, but. Will the last call? Well, if they're bringing lasers in to, um, I can't see why they would do away with, uh, you know, you can't use technology or promote technology on the one hand and then try and take it away on the other. So I don't know where you draw the line. Um, uh, there's, there's definitely an argument that it's, um, you know, it's it's negating the skill of reading greens, but then you could argue that about all the uh, accoutrements we use now. You know, where do you draw the line? But um, I suppose they will last. Yeah, I hope I know, so. I know. Uh, we'll definitely ask a bit more about that in the rangefinders. Uh, but just to stay on Louis for a second, I followed him properly. I mean, I've seen him a few times, but I followed him properly at La Hinch last year, and I watched mm -hmm. him hit some long irons, and I just thought to yeah. myself, not even trying. I, no. this is like there's there's a smooth action and there's there's this and he's a little fella like I'm I just I just in awe um it was gorgeous you know it was ridiculous talent I think I'm like where's the power coming from where's the stress this is outrageous and I know he shot a 63 I think in Phoenix and you were watching mm -hmm. that 
you said it was just an easy 63. Yeah, it was effortless. And I think that's what happens with great players. You know, they, they do it and they get it. And, and he looks very much like a feel, mood, you know, kind of has, you know, how he feels on the day. And, and he just came out gunning and, you know, he could have shot under 60. Um, he had enough chances. Um, yeah, I haven't said that he still holds some putts, but it, and it, it does look effortless. He, he is a natural, raw talent that, you know, he, and he doesn't get in his own way. He doesn't complicate it. He lets it happen. He knows when it's happening. He's got a great feel. So, yeah, I mean, and that's just the difference, you know, and, and there's loads of guys out there and who have, you know, a lot less talent, but go about their business totally differently and, you know, get results. But it's all raw grinding as opposed to just effortless talent. Um, so, you know, he is one of those unique players like, like Retief, Ernie, just a gifted, rhythmical, the sound of the ball coming off the club. You know, he's the type of guy who could clip a two iron off a bad lie. You know, the rescue clubs and that aren't really of, of you know, any advantage to a striker like him. Uh, doesn't, you know, I, I'm not saying doesn't work hard. He's got his own work ethic, but um you know, he's not one of these guys who's grinding away in the range. He told me he's done a lot of work with his wedges and his wedge play. To me, I saw so many good wedge shots in control. And Peter, you know, when there's, there's you know, really good wedge plays. One of the commentators said to me, and uh, I won't name his name in case uh, some, it gets back to what he said about someone else, Rory. As I said, I've seen more good wedge shots from this guy in six rounds than I had seen in quite a while um, because of the other person was working for, but just hadn't got the same feel with his wedges. And this commentator said, you know what, him and Rory, you know, he's, he seems to think Rory's wedges aren't as good as, as every other aspect of his game, you know. Wedge plays where it's at. It's that understanding. Louis carries four wedges. He knows how to use each and every one of them. A lot of guys who carry four wedges don't know how to use any of them because they're trying to make up for it by narrowing the gap. Um, so my first observation, he's obviously done a lot of work with his wedges and is very, very um, very much in control and understands his own uh, ability with his wedges. So, um, yeah, that's, that's apart from all the other aspects, as you say, the way he strikes the ball and um, the other um, parts of his game that are, that are so naturally talented. Colin, um, can I ask you, you said earlier that obviously you have a reputation. You've been doing this for a very, very long time. And it seems to me, now I don't know all of the players. I don't know what Alex Noren might be like or Eduardo Molinari, but it strikes me that everybody you've worked with has a pretty even-tempered, like they're pretty mellow. I've met Ernie Els a few times and I'm astonished about how, just how easygoing he was and I get the impression Retief was the same is there something like I mean is there a kind of player that just your personality type gels with best well um I would uh I you know maybe it does you know but you've got to deal with all sorts I've worked for plenty of guys who um who rage who uh right. you know you, you only see them when the fire has gone out you know but it's all raging and the good ones do it very quietly um as as Peter will attest, he's seen the guys, you know, the, the quiet assassins, but they, um, 
you know, Ernie obviously has um, has protected a reputation of being the big easy. Everyone knows him, including Peter there. So the right smiles from Peter. It's uh, that's not quite the case. There is a, you know, it's it's golf brings out that both the best and the worst mm. in him. So um, yeah, but maybe maybe I've got that. I, you know, it's very hard for me to tell what it is. I suppose I've been around so long. It probably seems like a comfortable pair of old slippers or safe pair of hands, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, I wouldn't say there's anyone in particular. Look, you deal, uh, you know, as, as Peter with a test, you deal with, you know, most golfers are fairly similar. Some rage more, some express less, or some of only two forms of expression silence and rage. Others let it out quicker. You know, um, Louis certainly seems like even tempered. He, you know, he gets. You know they're, they're passionate. They're they're into it. They're not going to. Uh, it's not like they're on, in the state of zero, which is what Retief always seemed he was he was in. You mm. know, the the head walking on top of the, the the hedge, just not deviating at all, just straight line. But um, it's what they're all striving for. It's what they pay all these um, mental coaches so much money for to try and get them to that to that state. Others have it naturally. You're saying I've maybe worked for a lot of the ones that have it naturally. Quite a few of them have, but um, you know that's which obviously makes it a lot easier because you know I would argue at that level, at the top level, it is the only thing that separates them, um, mm. assuming they're reasonable ball strikers. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if you caught much of the tournament at Pebble Beach at the weekend, but we were <laughs> before you came on, we were just commenting with delight on that two-minute exchange between Michael Greller and Jordan Spieth over the approach wedge on the layup on the par five and just what, the what was this forth. was this on 14 uh, or i think it might have been 14, 14 yeah. <clears throat> okay where they basically argued about which how that greller was saying look it needs more because you've got to factor in win so even though it's whatever it is 115 but it's playing like 125 and speed comes back with no I, I just don't see it doing that and obviously mm-hmm. you go with the player that dynamic is absolutely fascinating to us as golf fans and as Jordan sure. Spieth fans. But what like that is that caddy player relationship? Is that unique to them, or is it, or is it much yeah. more commonplace? I mean, you know, it just depends. Some guys want want you to tell them how high to tee the ball. You know, what side of the tee they want to know. You know, everything, absolutely everything, whether it's relevant or not. I mean, I you know, I I would be of the opinion that. Modern caddying is, um, you know, there's too much over caddying going on. You know, these guys know what they're doing. Now, having said that, Jordan Spieth has gone through a huge dip. He's coming out of it. This is how he gets himself to perform, getting to that detail where he just goes through everything. Phil used to do it with Bones. That the, Some of the, the, the um, conversations where um, he'd wonder, is this, this game sounds very complicated, you know, and, and that's how they can make it. And, you know, you have players like that. When I worked for Retief, he would ask me every every so often. He might ask me two holes in a row. He might ask me once every five holes. I'd have to think all the time because yeah. I wasn't sure when he was going to ask me. But he knew what he was doing, as they all do. But they they somehow devise a formula for themselves that seems to work. Now, I would argue less is more. Mm-hmm. I don't know how Peter worked, but um, I, I would certainly argue that, um, you know, a game... Sure, it's it's complex if you break it down, but on the golf course is not the place to break it down. Um, 
you know, and, and really was, did that help? I don't know. Did it help yeah. him? I don't know what kind he, of shot he, he hit. He hit a bad shot. Yeah. He hit There's too much going on. Left. Yeah. There's but too it was, much it, going on. It was interesting. He said, look, this one's on me, Mikey. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, he said, well, if it I always get it wrong, is. it's on me. I mean, yeah, but it, it always is. And I, I would, you know, I've always maintained that the, the uh, we advise, the player decides. And there's yeah. no, you know, you, you've got it. The player has to take responsibility. Now, what you say is a huge bearing. It, it has a huge influence, but, you know, because psychologically, if somebody said, you can't get that there, um, you know, mm-hmm. that's ringing in your head. So you've got to be careful what you say and how you say it. But um, the decision is the players, you know. Mm-hmm. So if, if they're not owning it, you know, it's um, something's not working. You said there uh, West Hazen has four wedges. So yep. give us a sense then of the difference between those wedges, because I think we're always struck by the uh, exactitude with which they'll hit a certain yardage. So why four wedges and what are we talking at? Two, three, four yard difference between each one or what's the logic in four? Better look at me. I've written down somewhere. <laughs> Don't know his game that well just yet. <laughs> not quite yet. It's not ingrained yet, but um, he's. I know his, his wedge is... Um, his go-to distance, and it was interesting, in, in uh, Tory we, we, um, we laid up on some holes where he's in the rough, the rough is quite dense, and he wanted to get to between 116 and 120, which is a very unusual number for modern golfer that normally go down to 80 or 90. We're, sorry, I'm talking meters here as well, whatever, you know, but that, that kind of distance, um, 125 yards, which it's a favorite number for his wedge. Um, which he feels very comfortable with, which he expects to hit to, you know, hit close if he's left himself that number. Um, so, you know, that's that's a go-to number for him, which is unusual, as you say, because normally you, that, that would be between your gap and your um, your lob wedge, you know, for these guys that they, they'd want to get a bit closer, but he actually liked that number. He doesn't hit the ball with much spin. He uses the black cyclist, which doesn't spin as much. He um, That's his game. So he likes it. It you know, it helps a lot of the time, um, particularly in softer greens, which we play on a lot. Um, it might become a bit more difficult on firmer greens, you know. Mm. Um, but um, his, yeah, his numbers are, I, I don't know why, it's probably an eight meter gap between the numbers. It just means he can cover them a lot easier. Right, okay. And, you know, I've worked for a lot of guys who, who have three wedges, a lot of four, four a lot of the guys who have four wedges can't use any of them. A lot of guys have three wedges and use them very effectively. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it really is. And, and they'll have, you know, Trackman is, is such a game changer in the, in, the, in the modern game. They have instant feedback. They, you know, it's easy enough to work on them. They have all access to the manufacturers and give them whatever shaft they need, whatever, you know, combination. So it really is a lot easier to be, to be good at this now. You know, and, and and Colin, where does adrenaline come into that your factoring? Because it was interesting again in that conversation, few references. Uh, Greller was trying to get a feel for how much adrenaline speed had going. So yeah. you know, yeah. between all all the guys you've you've caddied for, you know, Shinnecock 04 and that U.S. Open with Retief, for instance. Yeah. How do you know how many meters or yards to factor in for the adrenaline being pumping? Again, it's a feel, you know, and particularly in the states during the summertime when it gets hot, it gets over. 25 degrees or something, all of a sudden the ball takes off, particularly if they're flushers, you know. And Peter, you know, you find the same thing. All of a sudden there's a temperature where your numbers are, you've got to start guessing, really. Right. And you, you can feel guess. You know, you have numbers you work off. It's very scientific. You get to a certain temperature of heat, a little bit of elevation, they're pumped up. you got to go. So, I mean, you've got to ask the guy, are you pumped? Okay, we've got to hit one less, you know. I mean, unless we're your 
relationship is uh, you know this this you can't make too many assumptions but as you say michael greller was asking um, or you could you know, be a ronnie corbus uh, and and work it out beforehand um, uh, the pump factor the pump. <laughs> it was uh, i better tell the story this, there was this guy on tour he actually caddied for me first couple of weeks when i came out on tour and his name was ronnie corbus john roberts was his name but he he, he looked at the very like of of ronnie corbus out of the two Ronnies. Um, but Ronnie was a statistician pretty much, and he did everything on numbers. Um, so it didn't make it didn't make a difference how you felt, you know, you were going to hit the ball. It was Ronnie's numbers or nobody's numbers. So um, <laughs> he worked his way through a lot of good players. Uh, and you know, yeah. he helped a couple of young lads along the way of knowing how far he hit it. But he was uh, he was an, um, an enigma of a caddy out on tour. Enigma, that's one way of putting them. Yeah, I mean, but just to go back to the, uh, you know, the, the pumped up factor, it's, um, you know, I think the better players are able to get more out of a club when that is required. You know, you've got certain pins, we want to go hard at it. And, you know, theoretically, and even whatever factor you put in, heat and adrenaline, the club shouldn't get there, but somehow they managed to get it there. I worked for Alex Noren in Switzerland where Peter will test the ball goes forever. If you get elevation on it. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you know, for guys who use yards, they use meters books there. And then some, you know, they, they're trying to adjust for how far it goes, but you know, the year Alex won around there, I think it was 2009. Um, he, um, he just battered the ball. You know, it, it suited it. Yeah. You know, he knew he could get more out of it. He knew at the elevation, there were no half measures. If there was any doubt, get one less. You know, it worked perfectly. Yeah. We said you were coming on and got loads of tweets and texts in. Uh, my favorite, by the way, Andrew Davies, shout out to you. <laughs> How often does Colin get mistaken for Damon Hill? <laughs> I've seen me drive. I drive a Skoda. There's definitely a resemblance. Hold on a second. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you've got to get sense at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> um, Colin. We, um, sorry, sorry, Joe. Yeah. Go on, go on. Well, I was just, it, 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 when Peter asked the original question about the putting, I, I did want to follow up on that because, um, well, look, we all know how exceptional Ernie Els was and he's, he has won four majors. We had Frank Nobolo on the uh, podcast a while back. Okay. And he, told us, he told this great story about when he was still on tour, being in the gym. And uh, if you picture the scene, Nobolo was next to Tiger and they were on the exercise bikes and they were pedaling away and Els comes up on screen and hits one of these typical effortless long irons, just glorious yeah. and stitches it. And uh, beside Nobolo, Wood says, man, he makes that look so effing easy and starts pedaling harder, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so the talent is just so overwhelming. Um, when when did you work with Els again? And And like... Were the pudding demons always there? And is four majors, you know, about right for his level of talent? Because, you know, I guess to follow on Peter's point, you do feel like there was more in there, maybe. Yeah, I mean, supreme talent. Again, you talk about the, the, the shots he hit. I mean, he used, to, he used to hit these three irons that were quail high, inappropriate for, you know, the, the number and everything. Just feel, raw feel, understanding. And, um, you know, he understood the game. It wasn't scientific. He was just just unbelievable talent. 
you know, I don't know how many times he won on tour. He won 70 times or something or some, you know, huge amount of, of wins. Mm. It's hard to win once now. You know, he's still done great. Four majors is, is a great achievement. Sure, if he, if he won eight, you'd go, I wouldn't have been surprised. Um, mm. It's still, um, everyone can always look back, the ones that got away. I'm sure there was plenty. He finished second and he should have won. But, um, you know, he, um, I think he, Maybe if, depending on his mood, he'd, he'd look back and say, yeah, I should have won more, but four isn't a bad number. And because I'm, I'm just that bit younger, I've seen him maybe in more latter years. Like, were the, were the pudding issues always there or was that, did that come with age? I, no, it came with age. Right. Um, I, I mean, I used to, you know, when I was working for me, he was at the, you know, they, they were particularly bad. And I almost have to talk to him on, on some putts as he's putting. Right. Jeez. To try and just distract him. Are you say, working with him in 2016? Not when he had that disaster on the, the, the seven, was a, the Masters. 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 That was incredible. Yeah. That was in, that was incredible. That Masters. No, but I mean, I, I worked for him in um, in Hoylake. Was it? I think it was Hoylake oh, where yeah, he yeah. he hit someone on the on the off the first tee, hit, hit it left, drew blood off some spectator, you know, and he was he was a wreck. He missed a, a one footer or something on the first. Right. Now, Ernie is, you know, he's a lot of things. The one thing he does not do is give up, you know, but I could see he'd, um, he's completely deflated. He the heebie-jeebies on the green. I don't know what, he, I think he three-putted the, the second hole. It looked disastrous, you know, and he said on the next screen, he said, I feel like going in. I said, well, I don't think it's your style. If you wake up tomorrow morning, you haven't walked in thinking you did the right thing, do it. But I don't think you will. And of course he went on and he, mm. you know, he, he got it together a bit again. But I mean, that's that's what it was doing to him. It was absolutely killing him. Um, what can you, you do know, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a caddy there when he wakes up and he's on, even he's on the warm up green and he knows this is going to be one of those days and you know it's going to be one of those days? Well, you know, you have, you've just got to go through your routines. He was working with this um, eye lady, Cheryl Calder. I don't know if um, you did anything with her. No. She ended up, um, she was a very good hockey player, devised a system, which I never really knew because I never got access to at the eye gym. Now she worked with them. Well, she worked with the uh, successful English rugby team. uh, uh, One of the World Cups they won. Yeah. Um, She used to work with them doing their eye gym. So she got into golf. Um, doing this eye gym, he would do it religiously. He'd go through his routines. He'd spend hours putting, putting short putts. That's all he could do. Stick to his routine, keep doing it, and hope the demons didn't come. You know, mm-hmm. he'd done his work, and um, he'd uh, he'd hopefully overcome it. But um, obviously, it was always there. So um, you know, how you overcome it? You just keep working your way through it, which mm-hmm. is what he's done. Obviously, he's winning on the seniors tour, so he's. You know, I'm sure it's it's more days than off than not. He's he's still got him, but he 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 somehow keeps battling. I mean, talk about a hard worker. You know, t- talent and hard work. He'll grind at it. He will grind beyond belief at it. So that's probably what all he can do. Um, you know, so Peter, what's yeah. it like as a as a player if you're with, you're playing with someone who's having the horrors on the green? It's almost um, it, speaking as rank bad amateurs, but that atmosphere can actually be over the group as opposed to just one player who's having a very obviously terrible putting day. You kind of, you, you get to the stage where you'd nearly look away. Um, 
you know, you don't really want to get into it. You feel sorry, you know, for a guy. And we've all been through it where, you know, you can't get the ball in from two feet or a foot. Um, you just, it's not the yips really, but it's certainly a, um, it's just a complete lack of confidence. And, you know, after a while, you just, you know, if somebody's going through that, or if you're going through it, you just have to try and battle you through it. Um, a lot of the time we all have different kind of techniques that we would put into place. Um, you know, whether we close our eyes as speed did for a while on short puts, or we have, you know, way of lining it up, or, or we certainly have a process that we go through. And if the ball goes in the ball, hole, the ball goes in the hole and great. But they, um, the more we think about it, the probably the worse we get. Mm. Um, Ernie seemed, Ernie's got kind of, when he was probably at his best, he had Josh out there with him. Um, Josh Van Hoodigan, wasn't it? Van, Van, Van de Spoot. Van de Spoot. Who was yeah. a psychologist to a point. Um, and, and he worked very well with a number of players. Didn't, who was he with, Colin? Absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, he, he had a lot of success with different players. Michael Campbell, you know, uh, I think he worked for Retief for a while, and yeah, yeah he had a lot of very good players. Yeah. What What's your uh, handicap, Colin? Well, my official handicap is six, but I I would um, say I'd be very easy to beat off six. Okay. So if you want to have a game, <laughs> play me. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put some I'd serious like money down. It up can, there for you. Because I was I, I was ask? gonna I was just gonna ask. So, so if you're if you're say on a good day six when you were playing your best. If you went out to play with an Ernie Els or a Louis Westhazen or whoever on tour in the world's top 50, how many shots would they have to give you? I'd want to be playing off 26 off the ladies' tee. <laughs> is that the, the, the difference? Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you, can't, I mean, you can't compete on length with these guys. If you're playing off the same tees. Yeah. You have how many hope. shots? Oh, uh, you know, off, the same t- off the same tees. Uh, yeah, same I mean, tees, back tees. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, you know, the average par four they're playing now is you know, 450 or 60 yards. Yeah. You know, that for a little short knocker like me is, uh, yeah, I'm, they're four and a half all the time, aren't they? Or par fives. So, so if, if I gave you 36 shots against, against Louis West I'd, Hazen, Yeah, I, I'd, I'd take them on for that, yeah. For okay, sure. but you wouldn't yeah. put the mortgage on it? i put some of your money on it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to get a backer. God, um, it's just mad yeah. to get the scale of the difference. I don't think we but can you, compute uh, it on the TV. Difference, and, and, you know, that's what's so good about the Pro-Am, you know, that you can actually pitch yourself against these guys the day before a big event is, is remarkable. That um, It's unique in that sense that they, you can actually go, wow, that's what they do. I remember actually when I was getting for Ernie, we played with um, Vladimir Klitschko <laughs> in, in Munich. <laughs> I mean, a re- hell of a nice guy. My, my, you know, Ernie's huge. Uh Vladimir is huger. I mean, he's man mounted. In fact, he couldn't even get his ball in the, in the hole, his hand in the hole to get the ball out. He had to kind of use three fingers to claw it out. You know, the whole fist wouldn't fit in. But um, I remember asking him, what's, you know, what, what do you think is more difficult, golf or, or boxing? You know, where someone's trying to kill. He says, oh, golf for sure. You can think too, think too much, mm. you know? Mm. Whereas, um, and, and, you know, any guys, We've played with famous sportsmen. We've played with over the years in uh, the Dunhill and that, or at the AT and T. Same thing. They they find golf such a challenge because of the proactive nature of it, as opposed to the reactive nature, which I always go back to. You know, it's such a big difference. In in uh, we actually just don't get instinctively to do something and show your talent. You have to 
pull the trigger all the time. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's an amazing, uh, you know, it's a, just a different challenge constantly every time you, you know, you, you hit it, but um, yeah. Colin, can I ask you a, on a completely separate note back to um, Pebble beach for a second, just the tournament. Mm-hmm. There was an interesting observation made of Daniel Berger's caddy, Josh Cassell, yeah. and the two of them, when they were lining up a putt, right? So he'd have his marker down with the ball on and they would literally line up the putt. He would stand, take a stance. The caddy would stand behind him. Now, rule 10B says nobody can help you with alignment, but it was like they were circumventing the rules. They weren't breaking the rules, but they were yeah. circumventing them because then he would then pick up his marker. The caddy would be gone. What's your take on that? Like, I mean, someone said, if it was Patrick Reed, I guarantee you people would be complaining. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Well, I, I'm sure the tour, if they, uh, the tour officials, if they felt that was, you know, it, it was maybe on the edge, they would talk to him about it. But um, if it's within the rules, I, I can't see any reason why not. You know, I mean, it's it's um, it's close to the edge, and and that's I suppose. But if it's on mm. the right side of it, why not? You know, I mean, there's the certainly guys now, a lot of the younger guys who don't read greens at all. They have a formula. Um, I don't know if um, aim point. You know, well, aim point are, are you know they're using that the the percentage of slope, the distance whether it's fifteen feet or whatever di- way they measure the distance. That's the percentage of slope. That's the distance. That's where I hit it. You know, um, you see guys. A lot of the younger guys don't even bend down to read the greens. So um, it's a complete formula. Mm. Um, so. That's kind of where we're at with, and again, it goes back to all these things we're talking about and using lasers and, and any other accoutrements, you know, that's where the game's at. Um, if you curtail it, as long as you're not breaking the law, if you curtail it, you, you know, you, I don't think there's any reason to do that. Um, so what's your take on lasers? Yeah. I mean, as a, I like to do my own work. I mean, you know, I, I came from the era where you had to make your own yardage book, you know, um, which is great. You know, of course, so much better than you do by picking up a book that's made for you that's really good that you have to look at anything. And it's, and it's, one, of the, it's one of the things that Retief was unbelievably good at is consuming a golf course as he walked around it. He knew where everything was um, instinctively. He just had that natural way of absorbing where to hit it, where the danger is. He was reading greens as he approached them. You know, that, that, that's kind of an old skill now that you know the, the modern equipment books and everything else have somewhat negated and I would feel the same with a laser I would do my own work and feel like I had an edge in other guys because I did that but now everyone's got access to the same thing so in a professional game I don't really see the benefit plus sometimes it's hard to hit your target with a laser it's not you know particularly if the light isn't great um, I think of the amateur game and, and you know, the game's in decline. They need to, yeah, sure. I think it's great bringing in the laser, even though I don't, don't think it's going to speed things up at all because guys will be faffing around with lasers trying to, <laughs> what did I hit there? Oh, I can't believe, you know, and, you know, so, you know, as much as I, I can see where the, the PGA want to, you know, move it along and make it as, as attractive as possible to more people all on for that. But um, in the professional game, I don't think it's going to help us, you know? Do you think that um, 
all of that technology, the greens books, the all of the information that a player now has ready at his or her fingertips has altered the way the caddy is. Like I'm old enough to remember caddies in the in the 80s and you know professional caddies whereas nowadays there's a far greater tendency to use people that you either have a, a close relationship with mm. that you're friends with that make you feel comfortable so you know whether it's That's... harry diamond or dj using his brother now i'm not taking away these guys obviously know golf but but is there a move away from the traditional professional caddy and because I Absolutely, would imagine that yeah. you, you're very much the the you're very much in the old school way. I still use a modern greens book. I still use what I can to help me. You know, it's all about finding the edge, isn't it? You know, there's yeah. no point denying yourself of of the things that are going to you know give you that edge or at least keep you up with the other guys. But um, yeah, I mean, because of the way everything's been leveled in terms of the information that everyone can give themselves, you know, what next? It's it's the mind, you know, and who makes you feel comfortable? Who do you feel relaxed with? Who do you trust to make a good decision or help you make a, a good decision while you're under pressure? That's, you know, and that you spend an awful lot of time together. So increasingly, yeah, they're looking for guys who they get on with, mm. you know, who they enjoy being around, who they can rely on, who, you know, they can lean on a little bit more psychologically. I think increasingly our job is, um, is certainly of a, of a psychological nature and a, you know, reading moods and trying to get them out of it, we, and, you know, helping them in that which sense. Which of your players did you feel most in sync with, had the best working relationship with for a period? I know you'll have had ups and downs with all of them, but when it was at its best, who did you really feel? My God, we're a pretty handy team here. Well, you know, it's, it's yeah. Come on, I know you have a name there. You have a name there. Louis Westhazen. It's only because I can't remember that far back. Who did I work for before Louis? Um, yeah. You know, that Saturday in, in, in um, the Saturday in, in Phoenix was, uh, yeah, there was something going on. There was a rhythm, the dialogue. Again, a great player who was playing yeah. great yes. to deal with that. The toughest <laughs> thing is working for average players playing badly. Mm. It's, you know, no matter what you say, it's very hard to turn it around. Um, I like working with, for great players who are playing great. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, I'm, you know, and really what you, you do is keep out of the way. But what you do say, you know, it's all about saying it the right way and with speed and, and mm. timing. So um, certainly that was a great, was a, you know, it was a really enjoyable day yeah, to, to participate in that. Yeah. And feel like, you know, th th your dialogue was helping rather than, you were going through some old pat, you know, yeah. but um, I think anyone, you know, I mean, I, I've, uh, myself, you know, I won quite a few tournaments, was fortunate to be with Retief when he played well and won, I think we won t 10 tournaments together. You've always had to say something on the Sunday that go, you know, you, you're on the line there and you need to say something that hopefully turns them around. I think that's what we all do. You recognize when it's time to say something and, you know, it needs to be fairly stern and and hopefully give off the right signal, you know. So there's been plenty of moments like that, you know. Because uh, it hurt in in St John on that point. Sorry, Fionn, just to to follow up because it might be interesting. He was thinking, you ask Colin for memories of the 04 US Open battle with Phil ah. Nicholson when he was on the bag for the goose, eleven puts in the last nine holes on a course that was borderline crazy golf. This was um, Shinnecock, mm -hmm. obviously, and it was Goosen's sure. uh, second US Open. I did sure. watch some of it back in advance. Of you coming yeah. on, I mean. 
Uh, he made a lot of puts. He made a lot of saves from off the green. It was a crazy fast course. What's your well, What's your memory of that day? Well, I mean, yeah, he, he did. You see, he played all his good golf for the first three rounds under the radar. Um, he played so well those first three rounds. Again, about shaping the ball into those greens, understanding the course. Anyway, and then, you know, the amount of times you play four good rounds in a row, it's exception. There's always one bad round. His happened to be, his striking round happened to be on the, uh, on Sunday due to pressure, due to the nature of it, whatever, you know, but um, my memory is, uh, well, apart from obviously 23 putts on the Sunday, which is phenomenal, um, his composure, his uh, sense of belonging, his sense of belief, his uh, rationale, he, he never, to me, seemed out of sync. You can tell when you know, someone's racing, the, 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 the whole routine is different. The whole process is different. His was rock solid. Um, I mean, the abuse he was getting, he's the worst person you can give abuse to because he thrives on it. You so know, was the, was the heckle. The, the, the Americans cheering on. The, the heckle. The heckle. Well, just, you know, come on, goose and three putter, all yours to lose and all this stuff, you know, in his ear, in his face. He'd have no reaction, but I knew it was making him stronger, you know? So, Guys, if you want him to do badly, say nothing because mm. that, that, you know, you're only inspiring him, you know. So his resolve, um, you know, had a funny incident because we played in Shinnecock a few years ago and we played with Ernie in the last round of 2004 when he won. And Ernie was actually getting stuck into the crowd when, um, when they, he, he'd kind of blown himself out of it by the back nine. And he was defending Retief because they were obnoxious, particularly obnoxious. But I'd, I remember before we went out in the last round, the putting green near the the, um, the first tee. Again, this was the first revelation of, Jesus, these greens are unplayable. Because Ernie hit a putt. There was a tier on the green. He hit it to one hole. It actually went down the next tier and went off. And he looked at me and went, you know, a look of alarm of, oh, my God, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And we were warming up when I was there with um, Rafa a couple of years ago for the U.S. Open. Um and he was out ahead of us or behind us. Anyway, he, was, he hit the same putt. And Ernie had remembered, and this was 14 years previously, I think it was 2018, mm. 2004. Mm. He'd remembered distinctly, do you remember before we went out here on Sunday in 2004? And, it, you know, which is remarkable how these guys would remember things like that. But obviously it scared the death out of him. <laughs> uh, scared the hell out of him. But um, he, um, yeah, so that's how crazy the Greens were then. Yeah. It's really yeah. interesting. I can't remember my putts after a round, let alone 14 years uh, <laughs> later. Yeah, um, yeah, I had one. I had one last one, and then and then the guys, I'm sure, have a, a, a last one as well. Uh, you must have seen some unbelievable golf in your day. Is there uh, a player or two or three that you know down the line? The grandkids will say, "Who took your breath away? Who blew you away? Like, and why? Like, is it is it is it Tiger or or what's the name that or two or three that come to mind and why? Aside well, you know, from the guys you worked with. I mean, obviously, the guys who, who strike it good, you see Tiger strike it, and yeah, you go amazing. The guy who I love watching play golf, and I've been out with him very little, is um, Bubba Watson. I mean, to watch him playing the modern era of smashing the ball, the shape he puts on the ball, you know, how his body is moving, it's just raw natural talent that is, but it's interesting to watch. Mm. If I was going to watch someone play golf, that's who I'd watch. I think it's spectacular. You know, I mean, and, and, you know, all these young guys, now I look at the range now, I think, you know, I think the game, the game has obviously evolved in, in a decade. I think it's evolved exponentially in the last few years. 
the the physiques of these guys, how far they're hitting it, they're all their their numbers on the track man are just outrageous. You know, it's just unbelievable power, accuracy. Um, you know, that's why they shoot the scores. You know, these are increasingly more difficult golf courses they play on. You know, they're set up more, they're different, more difficult to start with. They're set up more difficult. The pins are tighter, you know, so, and they still produce all these great scores. So, you know, the modern golfer to watch some of these guys hit it is phenomenal. Mm. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you know, even when I come back at the end of last year, I've been away. I remember being in Silverado in, in California, watching some guys because we walked by the first tee to get to the car park. Oh my God, I, I've never seen people hit, so many of them hit it so far. And what a sound. But yeah, I mean, to so Bubba, I would watch. I remember him saying when he was in Port Rush, that horrible Wednesday before the tournament, him and his mates went down to the, the local course, the short course in Port Rush, all played with an eight iron in the lash in the rain. You know, you know, he loves the game, you know, it's raw, you know, it's real. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, and knowing all that behind him and, and as he's different, you know, I, I, to me, I, I really enjoy watching him, watching him play golf, you know. Um, can I ask you, Colin, I mean, I've spoken to caddies over the years and the one thing that they all have in common, certainly to my mind, is that they all understand the impermanence of the caddy player relationship. Does it hurt when a relationship ends, though? No, I mean, look, as soon as it starts, you're on the way to the end. You know, you can, it sounds a bit <laughs> fatalistic, but um, it's the reality. You know, you got to be, if you're too sensitive, um, it's not the job for you. You know, it's uh, it's the nature of the business. It's not working, it's not working. It's one-on-one. Um, you don't have a vibe going. You know, it, why? Why would you do it? You know, why hang on? You know, so... Um, you know, that's just the way it is. And it's the only way it works. It's the only way it's ever worked. You know, a lot of people ask, are there contracts? You know, how can you work in those? Well, that's the only way it works. It's always worked that way. And it's the way it works best. It works for both of you. It keeps you on your toes, you know, and, and um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's been a very effective way for it to work. Very good. Well, we have taken up an hour of your time. It's been fascinating. Really? Could, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 zip by. We could have asked you another fifty questions. Very easy. Stop, stop talking so much, Joe. No, no, no. It's, it was it was it was amazing. Uh, you're busy. I think you're a lot of time in Florida coming up. There's a WGC. Yeah. There's the players, and before you know it, you'll be at Augusta. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Back again. We were only there in uh, yeah, yeah. like a few months ago. So um, yeah, that'll be a unique experience from yeah six month gap. And this was retiring. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Still, still could be. I think I'm going to actually bag share with Louis as the ultimate. Um, he likes having different caddies. He gets right. bored with um, people. Uh, so I think that's ultimately what's going to happen, but uh, just not at the moment. Okay. So, do, you, um, do, you not yeah. find, do you not find it so bizarre? We Like when we heard the stat a couple of weeks ago, obviously when after Phoenix, that Louis never won in America. Like that's... I don't think any of us actually believe that could possibly be true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can't last forever. No. no. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the, time to change it. The grand yeah. slam. I can't, I can't believe it actually. Yeah. But um, yeah. The grand slam um, of second yeah. places as well in majors. You know, he's yes. so close. Yeah. I'm just trying to break that trend. Listen, no better man. Get on okay. there, get in his ear. Okay. Listen, Colin Byrne, it's been Thanks, an absolute guys. pleasure. We'll be watching okay. you. Thanks so much. Good talking to you. Thanks, okay. Colin. See you. Bye. Bye. Cheers. See you. Yeah. Colin Byrne there.
Brilliant, Dan, with us. Great insight there. And uh, we might check in with Colin towards the end of the season and see how things have gone. Fionn, Peter, we are pretty much done. Thanks to you guys. Oh, thanks, Joe. Uh, I suspect we'll have things to talk about next week and we'll do it next week. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, guys. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation. 